This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. I'll tell you, some mornings there's one story, and we call them one-story mornings. Here's the problem this morning. Sometimes there's one story and then very little else. Um, there's there's one story, yes, but there's a lot of other stories that just won't let it be simply a one-story morning. There was a massive meeting about Ontario Place yesterday. The Ontario budget comes down today. Um, and uh, and obviously that's got tremendous implications for the city of Toronto. There's a mayoral race happening. We had Mitzi Hunter on our show all but all but clarify to us and you, the audience, she's going to run for mayor. And I had people telling me before Mitzi was on, I had people telling me after, not only does she sound good on your show, sounds self-assured, sounds ready for this, she's going to do great. I haven't had anybody um, countenance that. To suggest that this is frivolous, this is she's going to resign her seat in Scarborough Gilded. That's the longer com- as, as a Liberal MPP. Um, you might say, well, that's just another death blow for the Ontario Liberal Party. Look, they know they need uh, a reset, uh, a full, <laughs> a full reconstruction. Um, they don't need a little Botox and uh, and 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 uh, and a new haircut. They need everything. They need everything from the fat. This is like building the Terminator in Ontario. But for all those stories happening. And the U.S. president coming here for the first time in seven years since it was Barack Obama near the end of his run. So closer to eight years, eight, yeah, seven and a half, seven, three quarters. Um, There is only the one. And it's the resignation yesterday in the evening of liberal MP Han Dong. The accusation, more from uh, Sam Cooper, who breaks more news on this file that Dong advised a Chinese diplomat, a high-ranking government official, in 2021, February. Now, remember, an election hasn't been called yet. Not yet. Does Dong know it's coming? I think that's an important piece of the puzzle. I doubt it. February 21, I don't think we saw an election in the fall. Um, You know, it was referenced as a snap election by Prime Minister Trudeau. Remember, almost a carbon copy result, this time, though, against Aaron O'Toole. In the midst of a pandemic, two years prior, it was Andrew Scheer. Um, but the idea that Dong told a Chinese diplomat to delay freeing the two Michaels. Look, there's a lot of questions. What's the win for Canada? What's the win for China to listen? Wait a minute. Doesn't the United States have a lot more to do with the two Michaels being free than Canada? Well, all those things factor in. But to me, the conversation alone absolutely disqualifies this person from government. It disqualifies this person from being a, a member of parliament. It absolutely uh, creates the notion that something criminal was done, and that needs to be looked into as well. Uh, he didn't deny there was a conversation. What he he did not. What he denied was, well, I didn't tell them not to free the two Michaels and continue, in essence, human rights abuses, um, something Dong's very familiar with, given he skipped out on two votes that had to do with China and the Uyghurs and the genocide that's occurring from China towards uh, Muslim Uyghurs in that particular country. Let alone, he wasn't going to say, he's never said very much about Taiwan. He's never said very much about Hong Kong. Uh, You don't have to. That doesn't make you a a Chinese operative. But um, it doesn't assuage people's fears about this. He never once tweeted about the two Michaels until they'd been free. Is that everything? No. Is it something? Certainly. Absolutely. When he says he was advocating for them the whole time, um, Let's 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 kind of you know try not to roll our eyes too high skyward about that. Remember, uh, Dong said a couple days ago 
that this has no, this is just not happening. Fake news, fake news, fake news. He made the point that he is indeed a Canadian citizen. I'm like, I know that. You ran for office and you won. You know, I'm a Canadian, uh, nominated by liberals, registered liberals in Damali North, and uh, elected by uh, Canadians to serve Canadians. I'm just going to focus on my work. Uh, there's a lot of work in the riding, and, um, you know, I, 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 I want to see what uh, Mr. Uh, David Johnson uh, make out of it as a special repertoire. So, yeah. He says he wants to uh, defend his reputation, says he's being attacked unfairly. He's defended himself very um, casually, if at all, in the last 24 days. Does he ramp that up? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think the less people know about Han Dong, the better it is for Han Dong. He might disagree with that. Uh, Liberal supporters might disagree with that, but that's his perspective. Now I want to play you what Justin Trudeau said 24 days ago. Um, This is the problem with stepping out there, with doubling down. Here's his explanation when he made the point. Remember the initial report. Remember what it was. CSIS went to the government and said, we're worried going into elections. You have a candidate that is compromised by the Chinese government. And he knows it. He's not unwilling. He's willing. He's not indifferent. He's all in. CSIS told the prime minister's office that here's how he responded three and a half weeks ago. And we always engage with them and listen to them. But let me also be very clear to a really important point that I think uh, some folks are choosing to overlook. In a free democracy, it is not up to unelected security officials to dictate to political parties who can or cannot run. That's a really important principle. We, of course, draw on the expertise every step of the way. But the suggestions we've seen in the media that CSIS would somehow say, no, this person can't run or that person can't run, is not just false, It's actually damaging to people's uh, confidence in our democratic and political institutions. Said it at the time. It means more this morning. Nobody reported that. Nobody said it. And he knows that. He knows that. There was no suggestion CSIS was telling you who you can run and who you can't. They gave you information. You chose to process it, consider it, ignore it, and run dong anyway. And he isn't the only one. And he won't be the only name. And he won't be the only resignation. That's where it's at right now. 613, uh, Shiba Siddiqui is with us. Not only all this, holy cow, holy cow, holy cow, the POTUS is coming today. <laughs> There's a lot going on. <laughs> There's a lot going on today. It's a bit of the next few days for Trudeau are going to be uh, seems seemingly a little stressful. But yes, this is Biden's first visit to meet him. Now, they did meet, for, Biden took office January 2021, and they had a virtual meeting in February of 2021, which was an awkward little visit. Uh, but he arrives tonight, six, almost 6.25 p.m. is when Air Force One is supposed to land. Ah. He's meeting with the Governor, Governor General inside the Canada Reception Center at the Ottawa Airport. Mary oh. Simon, How be come, there, the Honorable. I've never been to the Canada Reception Center. I mean, I know the Ottawa Airport inside out. I'm going to look for it next time I'm there. Uh, and then he's going it's over. It's right next to the Cinnabon. <laughs> it's right next to the Cinnabon and the Wendy's. You can Wendy's. smell it. You can. The smell leads you oh, there. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Joe Biden will love that, 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 uh, that scent. Well, He'll want he, a cinnamon bun the second he lands. He, he heads over to Rideau Hall after that in his armored car, which is, I didn't know this. Do you know what the nickname for the armored car is? No. The Beast. 
I thought that was his dog. Okay, okay. Now I know. <laughs> no, it's the Beast. And I'm, I guess the, the Beast travels on Air Force One? It, it can't. Someone must drive the car up. No, from come the on. But you're right, because well, how does he have a limo? How would he have the same limo when he's overseas? Yeah, it's the exact same one. That that's what they're saying. This is what his the report has come through of what what's going to be happening during his visit. So it's the Beast from Washington. I'm assuming it goes on Air Force One. I don't know. But Did you ever watch the West Wing? Because I didn't, and I greatly regret not doing it. Because I bet you when Martin Sheen was the president, we'd know this answer yes, if I'd watched that's true. it. That's because true. the car would get parked into the park it into the plane. Big door shuts and they take the car with them. I think you're right. You you'd have to. You'd have to, especially if he's overseas somewhere. You can't trust you know a vehicle that someone gives you. Anyway, so he's going to Rideau Hall. He's meeting with Justin and Sophie, and then he to, on Friday he's in meetings all morning. He's giving a speech mid afternoon, and here's the talk of the town. Obama's speech was 50 minutes long when he came to visit. So people are wondering how long Biden's speech is going to be. This is a point. Oh. This is a point of conversation. Is it going to be longer than fifty minutes or shorter than fifty minutes? And then he's got a joint media availability uh, with Justin Trudeau, which I know. Let's see how that goes. <laughs> I think that's going to be a very big mess. I think Biden's going to feel like the third wheel in the room uh, because a lot of people are going to have a lot of questions for Justin. Can you imagine? Like I don't know what time Biden went to bed last night in Washington, but someone, <laughs> sir, sir. <laughs> Timing is a little bad right now. There's some stuff going on with the Justin Trudeau coming. He's like, what's that? What's going on? Like, yeah, exactly. You get woken up and you can't, uh, you know, you feel like you're having a nightmare. And it's like, no, no, no. Uh, You think think you've got your own messes. Uh, So do we. uh, (laughs) But the visit ends Friday night with a fancy gala dinner at the Aviation Museum in Ottawa, which is gorgeous. It's an absolute, I've been there for weddings. It's an actual, yeah, it's a stunning venue. Can we get uh, a menu for that? Do you think by Friday, the end of Friday's show, just it. find out what, what the appetizers let's are? Let's replicate. Not only am I going to get a menu, let's replicate it. Let's replicate it. Some mozzarella sticks, like some bre- <laughs> breaded mushrooms. Let's see what's on that list. <laughs> this is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Politics will feature big moments, and they will feature things that are deemed scandalous, and you will absolutely have finger pointing. Uh, between, you know, alliances and parties and, and allegiances get broken. All of that happens. I'm not sure I've seen anything quite as remarkable as this. And uh, getting a front row seat and contributing to the excellent journalism as part of this is our own Mackenzie Gray, national reporter with Global National and Global News. And he gets up early to join us now. Uh, Mackenzie, thanks very much for the time, obviously. Um, and again, wow, like that's about all you can say, especially given the president of the United States <laughs> comes and visits Canada for the first time in seven years. He'll address parliament tomorrow, a state dinner tomorrow evening, and all um, under the uh, under the, the curtain of a lot of political controversy. Uh, yeah, it's uh, quite the story. Let me lay it out for your listeners. Mm-hmm. Uh, yesterday, my colleague Sam Cooper uh, put out a story saying that uh, two different uh, national security sources uh, told him that Don Dong, the Liberal MP from Don Valley North, had a conversation with the Consul General and the Toronto Chinese Consul in February 2021 about two Michaels. And in that conversation, he said that the Chinese government should hold off on releasing them because it would be beneficial to the Conservatives um, and that there would come a better time essentially later for the Liberals uh, to release them then and that there should be some progress that should be made um, on the two Michaels case, some incremental progress in order to help the Liberals out in the future. Um, Mr. Dong, I should say, 
denies that that was the characterization of the conversation. Uh, he did not. Uh, he, he told us that the conversation did take place, uh, but said that he was advocating for the release of the two Michaels. Um, but one person who did not know that conversation took place was the Prime Minister, and he learned about it when we emailed him at his office, I should say, and asked about the conversation itself. Um, so, the, you know, put aside the substantial uh, allegations we're making based on the sources that mm-hmm. I call it Sam Cooper has spoken to, uh, the fact that Mr. Dong uh, admitted to having this conversation with a probably the second highest ranking Chinese diplomat in Canada, while the two Michaels uh, had been in jail for nearly 800 days at that point, and the Prime Minister learned about it when we talked to them. Uh, backbench MPs, um, the latitude for them to freelance on anything, let alone major uh, sensitive issues like this, uh, is non-existent. So that was you know, quite the moment there. Mr. Dong resigned from the Liberal Caucus last night in a very uh, emotional speech in the House of Commons, uh, where I guess he denied the uh, substance of the reporting from us, um, but was also quite emotional when he spoke about his family. Uh, and and having to leave a Liberal caucus, but he also said to Greg, which I, I think is a, an interesting thing to note, that you know he said it's a it's a privilege to sit in the government caucus, and there's some right now. Uh, I'm paraphrasing Mr. Dong's words it, that believe it would essentially not be tenable anymore. Um, so he's out as a Liberal, sit as a backbench MP, and um, that's that. I think you hit on it with um, with the idea that that's just not a conversation a backbench MP can have. And and regardless of the nature of the conversation, it, to your point, Mackenzie, it just isn't done. Like there's a protocol, there is going up uh, up the food chain a little bit um, with, uh, with higher level officials that you'd have to brief and you'd have to brief that the call was taking place. You'd have to brief them after. It's just not done. And that for that alone, regardless of, of where he went with the two Michaels, and and again, the reporting has been pretty solid on this. Um, that, that that alone is is has given a lot of people hesitancy that that not only should he not be in caucus, but he can't be a paid member of parliament anymore. When CSIS became aware of the conversation, based on the two sources that um, my colleague Sam Cooper spoke with, there was a kind of theory that they had that maybe Mr. Dong was acting as kind of an interlocutor or an intermediary between the Canadian and Chinese governments. We put that to the prime minister's office Mm -hmm. and they categorically said uh, at no point in time was Mr. Dong a uh, back channel to the Chinese government. Um, I should note, uh, I'm sure there are some folks out there who uh, do not believe the denial of the prime minister's office. Uh, I would like to point to the, the response we got to our original Hondong story, from, in which were allegations of help from the, the same consulate in Toronto, the Chinese consulate in Toronto, in his 2019 nomination meeting in Dong Valley North. Um, the response from PMO was uh, no specifics, but uh, there's so many false things in your story, we can't even begin to That's right. tell you what they are. Yeah. Uh, yesterday, the Prime Minister's office gave a very clear, straightforward denial. And for folks who paid attention to the story, getting a clear, straightforward anything from the prime minister or his office on answers to substantial questions has been like pulling teeth. But yesterday, we did get very clear responses. 
Um, that signals to me that they did not know about this. Uh, and again, I, I can't underscore enough the idea that a backbench MP would be doing something like this without the prime minister's knowledge on, you know, uh, one of the most sensitive foreign policy issues that Canada's had to deal with since World War II. I don't think I'm um, being out of line saying that. Uh, is is whoa, you, you just can't do that. No question. Um, I'm watching Tuesday night as well, and you're, you're front and center for this. When I see, and I mentioned it a couple times on the show, but it, it, it's worth reiterating now, um, Han Dong comes out, and he starts doing sort of a, almost a long-form one-on-one, and then there's others of you there. He speaks for 23 minutes. He doesn't have a handler there. No one's cutting off questions. No one's cutting off answers. That is, let our audience know, Mackenzie, just how unusual that is, often for any MP, unless they've got great news or a big announcement. That's just not how it works, let alone somebody who we haven't seen from or seen, heard from, or there hasn't been any sort of aggressive defense of the charges and accusations against him. To come out Tuesday it it kind of electrified my my spidey sense a little bit. What did it do for you? Did you start to think there's a reason he's out here? Uh, I don't I don't know, but I mean, look, we uh, we saw him. Uh, I was in that scrum. Me, a colleague from CBC, and uh, the Golden Mail. Uh, you know, I knew he was. I was on the hill that day, so I saw him in the House of Commons. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is the first time that I saw him. We we usually have people up there. Um, but I can't say exhaustively that that was the first time he was on the Hill, but that was the first time I had seen him since our reporting. It's been about three weeks since we put our original story out about Mr. Dong. Um, and, you know, where he, he spoke at length. You know, the one thing I will say, Greg, is that he didn't, you know, we were able to ask him a lot of questions, so there was more detail in it. But, you know, fundamentally, it wasn't anything different than what he told us in a statement. So there wasn't anything from the, the substantiation of the allegations perspective that was new on that front. He, he gave us more detail. And uh, I'll, I'll begrudge no politician who's willing to sure. stand in there for an extended period of time and, and answer our questions about it. And we had a lot of them. Um, you know, he, he talked about how uh, there have been death threats uh, against him and there's been uh, issues for his family and constituency because of uh, the reporting on this. Um, so, you know, he gave some additional context, too, about uh, what's gone on uh, since then. And and. Uh, you know, I'll, it's, it's always good to have politicians stand there on camera and answer questions, in particular when there's major issues like this. Yeah, he looked uh, honestly, he looked relieved. He seemed relaxed. He was asking to clarify questions. He wasn't short. He wasn't rude. He was he looked like somebody that wanted to talk as opposed to was being able to force to talk, which is interesting now, given where he's ended up. Let me reset. Mackenzie Gray is with us, of course, global national reporter uh, in Ottawa. This either now, the next step is either one of two things. It's the um, it's the continuation of uh, the rapporteur, the former governor general, David Johnston, looking into this, or as some have suggested take place based on all that's happened in the last 24 hours, it's scrapping that concept entirely and going straight to an independent inquiry. Um, without asking you what your perspective is, what are people saying on Parliament Hill? Do they lean more that it's going to go continue on with the rapporteur, or is there a chance that that whole process gets junked before it even begins? Uh, it's tough to say. I mean, it certainly gives the opposition more ammo to push for an independent public inquiry. I think it gives more ammunition for you know folks in civil inquiry because um, you know here's a prime example of something happening that. Uh, even the prime minister didn't know about 
Mm-hmm. You know, there's a, the, in the responses when we asked the Prime Minister about, you know, whether it be our stories, the stories from the Golden Mail, and more broadly about things, you know, he, he hides behind the idea that I'm, I'm briefed all the time on these issues. Uh, but, you know, on issues of national security, I can't say anything. You know, he's even basically yesterday uh, or the day before, Greg, he, he basically set up the idea that Katie Telford, when she testifies at the committee about this, uh, isn't going to be able to say anything because it's all national security, uh, you know, issues. Uh, but this issue shows the most recent story that there are even some things that the prime minister didn't know about that a public inquiry could get to the bottom of. Um, so I think that that would be some more ammunition for the opposition. Um, you know, we'll we'll see, uh, you know, the premise that the prime minister has put into place, uh, you know, his argument that um, basically uh, there's a, a portion of Canadians who are not going to be able to believe me on this issue. So yeah. we need a special rapporteur in place to actually give credibility to this uh, situation. That's his argument. I don't know if that, that changes because of this, but uh, we'll see. We'll get questions about it. I've got a minute and you're busy also. Does any of this get in the way of the work that actually needs to be done with uh, with Joe Biden and, and Justin Trudeau? There's talk about Haiti. There's talk about ground troops there. There's talk about trade. Do you think at all this ends up being a distraction to the meat and potatoes of why they're visiting in the first place? I mean... Joe Biden's not going to come in there and in the meeting and be asking about Hong Kong. You know, they've got business that they're going to deal with. The prime minister is going to need to handle that. Uh, you know, it means the prime minister is not going to get questions about uh, some of the other things that they might want to talk about instead. Uh, but no, I mean, they're, they're, they know that this is an important meeting. And they're going to have to deal with it. Uh, but they also know that there's going to be questions and, uh, you know, less focus on it because it's a big story. Mackenzie, fantastic stuff. Thanks so much. We'll be watching for your reports uh, tonight and tomorrow and, and obviously through the weekend. Uh, really appreciate you coming on our show and, and uh, laying it out for our audience so much. Thanks, Greg. Mackenzie Gray joining us. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Sorry, right, we got a few minutes now to uh, set up with Jamie Ellerton. I'm so glad you came in and, and this is our first time getting to do this in person. Great to be here, Greg. Um, I'll ask you, what did you know? When did you know it? And what did you do about it? No, I, uh, I, <laughs> when we played, um, the original McKenzie gray report from back in November, and that's hard to call that an original report. You worked all summer on Scott Etchison's campaign for, um, for the conservative party of Canada leadership. Is there any inkling that you'd go, there were rumblings, there were whispers, there were sort of drips of information, but then by November it came kind of became a cascade, Jamie. I think there's always kind of been drips there, Greg, to be frank. Uh, go read Sam Cooper's book, Willful Blindness. Uh, Joanna Chu at the Toronto Star, also China Unbound. Uh, the reality is United Front Groups have been advancing Beijing's interest in in Canada for years. What are United Front Groups? These are This is literally a Chinese government department whose sole purpose is to advance Beijing's interests in foreign countries. Uh, the Chinese love to say, stay out of our internal affairs when you talk about what they've done in Tibet, when what they're doing right now with the ongoing genocide against Uyghurs. Taiwan also. Taiwan yeah. as well, right? So they have a whole government department backed by billions to spend on interfering in other people's internal affairs. So the, the yes is a short answer. This has been dripped out uh, in some ways for many, many years. And there's been to Sam Cooper's book title, Willful Blindness. People just do nothing about it. So it, it's kind of always been there in the background. It's just never kind of kicked out into the open with the spotlight that we're seeing now. And so when you look at Sam Cooper's reporting going back to the fall and what really Mm -hmm. turned explosive in this new year, uh, this is like took us to a whole nother level. I think Canadians, a lot of them are waking up to the reality for the first time as to what's going on here, which is why you continue to see relentless pressure building on 
the prime minister to just call the damn inquiry. Um, and I want to get to that next segment. The Cooper report comes out 26 days ago. We watched Justin Trudeau 25 days ago now on a Monday, three weeks ago this past Monday. And he talks about anti-Asian racism, which, which certainly has been a thing during the course of the pandemic. There's no doubt about that. But he makes the point. CSIS can't tell us who to run or not run. He was very, very dismissive, very dismissive. Two weeks later, he calls the rapporteur. Now, here we are now. When that happened on the Monday, you've got a lot of political savvy uh, coursing through your veins. You know, people probably said to you, Jamie, what's going on here? And you're like, this will become more of a story than less of a story as time moves on. Yeah, and quite frankly, Justin Trudeau right now is using his preferred playbook. First you deny, then you deflect, and you dig down and just try and continue to deceive. And then eventually he has to relent when things blow up. We saw this with the Jody Wilson-Raybould SNC-Lavalin scandal. We saw it with the Wee scandal, and he's doing it yet again. I think when you look at kind of what Justin Trudeau is trying to do, like on the one hand, he says he was never briefed and knew nothing. Well, then why did he confront the Chinese pri- uh, president at the Asia-Pacific Summit last fall? Uh, the, where that notoriously went viral for being getting caught in a clip in a candid moment. The the liberals are not doing anything. Rule number one of crisis communications, get mm. everything out as fast as possible so you can start to move forward. Um, let's take a minute here and, and ask you about... about um about just that, this scandal clearly—I uh, said the you know the Wee scandals in the summer, the pandemics just happened. Maybe people didn't have a lot of bandwidth for it. SNC Lavalin must have been complicated for seventy percent of of Canadians to really understand and dig down on. But but when Jody Wilson Raybould was was exiled out and she started to speak, people were like, "This doesn't seem like something that was fair to her." This one's got a ton more implications. We've never had a process where we've said, I'm not sure that election result is valid. And again, people might think, great day for uh, for radio and this. Uh, of course, there's adrenaline coursing through our veins with this story. But I don't want to live in a country where we're going to question our election results. We've never had to before. And this depresses me and concerns me greatly that we're headed in that direction. Every last single Canadian should be concerned about this. I think when you look at how the Liberals are reacting. We know, frankly, this is not a partisan issue. They keep trying to talk about this as partisan politics. Obviously, the Conservatives had their motion in the House this week, the NDP doing the same thing. Like, This is politics. This is Parliament. So let's not pretend there's not going to be politics here. But this is so much bigger than that. We know mm-hmm. for a fact this kind of already crosses party lines. Uh, Ontario PCs, Doug Ford's Conservative Caucus, had someone who had to step down because he's part of these allegations. We know from Sam Cooper's reporting that uh, intelligence shows there are at least 11 candidates. So we know. And maybe a couple of conservative. MPs. And there exactly. There yeah. could be others tied up into this. So this is not an issue that's going to be partisan. The prime minister, it's to the prime minister's advantage to say, hey, they've infiltrated us all. Let's call a public inquiry. Let's see where we're at and stop this now. So we can all move ahead and ensure that we have trust and confidence in our institutions. Jamie Ellerton, uh, just wandered in. I uh, was looking for a coffee. It's tough to get a coffee on Queen's Key, Jamie. I don't know if you know that. It's really tough to get a coffee before 5 a.m. downtown. We need to change this. I want you to run for mayor of Toronto and and promise a coffee shop on every corner once again. We used to have that here in, in this town. I'm pretty sure there's no shortage of pot shops that are going under yeah, where I don't coffee need shops can hour. move back in. <laughs> it may, Some people might say, well, it'd make your show more interesting, but I... Uh, I, I dispute that. Yeah, I, I think the move is, and again, if I was advising Justin Trudeau, I'm not trying to like lead him into the, the deep water here. If I really was his advisor and you're expert at this stuff, I say, get in front of this, t- 
today to call a news conference before Biden's plane lands and say there's going to be an independent inquiry. You've got new information. Your MP just quit. I mean, you forced him to, but you he's gone. So you know more now, and the public sure does than 48 hours ago. This rapporteur thing's not gonna not gonna pass the the, the smell test. And I think the NDP's walked from this. I think the NDP, you're getting an inquiry whether you like it or not. So look like it's something that you want instead of something that you're forced into. Oh, well, the liberals are kind of shameless in the sense that when they do decide they finally have to do this, as everyone else has already recognized, they'll pretend as if this is what they were going to do all along. And but that's not bad politics. And they'll ask you to pat them on the back for it. Except that but some bad people politics. will buy that still. No, I don't think so. Because I think when you look at what's gone on and how long this has dragged out, I think this is going to be an existential crisis for, for Prime Minister Trudeau. So it, it just, again, begs the question, like, what is it that they're hiding? Uh, the inconsistencies in the prime minister's story have been a part of this from the get-go. We know this is ridiculously serious and very much seems to be permeating all aspects of our democracy, uh, particularly in the lower mainland and here in the GTA. So there's questions the about the mayor. There's questions forward. about the mayor election in Vancouver. A lot of questions about that now. There's also the deputy mayor in Markham, who's been part of uh, mm-hmm. face these serious allegations before the playbook of how they always respond is to say you're racist, deny it and hope it goes away. And quite frankly, they've had success. So I get why they use that playbook over and over again. But I think this time's different, Greg. Um, you made the case because other people have asked the question and they've asked me as well um, why it would be beneficial if Dong has that conversation and he has it with a, a Chinese diplomat and says, we'd rather the two Michaels aren't free anytime soon because it benefits the conservative party. And some people say, well, why would that be? It was interesting timing. And I do remember mentioning it September of, of 22, 21. I'm like, okay, they're out, but it's right after the federal election results. So why is that? But I didn't think much of it because I think the United States spurred this, that this is the only way they were able to do this was by dropping the charges. But, but you've got some pretty – I think you've got some boxes that check as to why it might have been advantageous for uh, the conservatives had those two men been released earlier. Yeah, I've, uh, one of the Toronto Star reporters kind of asked the question, why is this advantageous last night? And I put out there, the liberals have used the two Michaels to essentially shut down any kind of criticism of our foreign policy and diplomacy with Beijing and the Chinese Communist Party. Because we have to bring the two Michaels home. The Conservative Party, uh, under Aaron O'Toole's leadership, was very strong in trying to get a better response from Canada and a better foreign policy in the broader Asia-Pacific. The Prime Minister always shut it down. When you look at our Five Eyes Security Alliance, the preeminent intelligence and security alliance of the world, Canada was a laggard in saying, Huawei, you can't be part of our 5G network. The security risk is too grave. And the general consensus from anyone who follows this stuff is like, oh, the Trudeau government's not going to want to do too much. It'll put the Michaels in jeopardy. So the longer that drags on, the more it clearly benefits Beijing. Uh, and a lot of partisan liberals saw it as a way to keep the issue at bay and focus talking about other stuff. Because every time they have to talk about this, they're being denied the opportunity to talk about what they'd rather be talking about. So for all the liberal MPs and everybody, uh, I've said this, you, you can't get 155 people under a roof who are politically, um, obviously, um, you know, politically minded and they're going to agree on everything. But there must be liberal MPs that in their most deepest thoughts, if we injected the truth serum into them, they would be like, if Justin Trudeau goes over the boat, at least I've got another chance to get reelected. If he stays, I have less of one. Everybody has to know whether they're removed or whether they choose to remove themselves. 
when uh, when when trouble's ahead. Mulroney knew it in '93. Kretchen probably knew it. Uh, Kathleen Wynne didn't know it in 2018, and it decimated the Ontario Liberals. Do you think there's a lot of backbenchers and even cabinet members that are that are hoping the Liberals have a new leader? No doubt, there are Liberals in Ottawa today who are sweating more and starting to pull their collar down to try and get some oxygen. Flo, I think when you look at where the prime minister's at on this, the, the prime minister's personal brand has become synonymous with the Liberal Party. There's not really a Liberal who has profile or the name recognition, obviously, like the prime minister does. But that doesn't mean the institution cannot weather this. I think if there's actual honesty and transparency uh, and some accountability for what's gone on, you can then get into an actual election where you debate vision, values and future ideas uh, and see your typical election play out. But the fact that the liberals continue to do nothing on this just makes it harder for them to finally get on the right track. So call the damn inquiry and let parliament move forward with its business. Is there any uh, anything that would end up sticking to Pierre Polyev? And what I mean by that is he's got 115, 414 fellow MPs. He's 115th. If there's a couple that um, not in Dong-esque circumstances, but found their way to power with any aid or assistance uh, from Chinese uh, money or Chinese government and he didn't doesn't call it out is there anything that's there's that theory out there that pierre is sort of not going all full bore on this because he knows that that when all the names are out there's going to be a couple conservative mps on that list yeah he's somewhat operating blanks he doesn't know what he doesn't know uh and we're already again there's 11 names that are a part of what's going on here at least based off what we know from from the reporting so i think he is going to kind of tread cautiously on that regard though i think if you saw any actual conservative names tied to this in terms of the federal conservative caucus uh they'd be sitting in the back corner in the house of commons pretty darn quickly and i think he like would what ford l- did with, with Kerr. Exactly. And right. I think he'd also probably launch an internal review as to how party operations are looking. And then he'd probably go back to call the public inquiry so that we can truly see what's going on and get everyone out there. Uh, this is not about partisan politics. This is actually about how our democracy functions and having a better understanding as to how widespread Beijing's influence operation is in this country and stopping it in its tracks. Last thing, and spread this out for about 90 seconds if you want. What What's this do to our, our democracy? We're going to vote in this city for mayor in three months. We just voted provincially. We just voted municipally last November. And turnout feels like it's lower and lower. So where you and I get fired up, and I think a lot of people who listen to talk radio get fired up, are we losing a good chunk of the population that says, I, I, can't, I can't believe in anybody or anything? Where are we? I think apathy is a real problem. Uh, I think people are fed up. People hear politicians that don't see the change that they're looking for. And so they say, ask themselves, like, why bother? I think when you look at how low uh, touch points get so bad, uh, anytime there's a change election because something's gone on, if we go back to mayoralty stuff, turnout was up after Rob Ford's one term because people are like, stop the madness at City Hall. Let's bring some <laughs> civility back to how City, city Hall is supposed yeah. to be boring and about bus stops and garbage pickup, not about your mayor smoking crack. And so when people are forced to pay attention, Canadians actually do come out. And so I think the apathy thing's a problem. And I think it's up to those running and aspiring for public office to say, huh, nothing, something's not right here. Let's get the country back on track and get to the bottom of this. Mm. Jamie Ellerton's a founding partner at Canaptus PR. It's great to have you in. And, uh, and let's do this way more often. It was lovely to have you here. Happy to. Thanks, Greg. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's News. Today's Talk. 640 Toronto. So Doug Ford said he'd stay out of Toronto's mayoral election at said that a few weeks ago. I took that at face value. He said that the day after he said, uh, oh my gosh, wouldn't it be? He said, wouldn't it be great if Mark Saunders ran for mayor, but but he's staying out of it. Oh my gosh, if a lefty is elected in Toronto, God help us. 
Um, most of the time, mayors are more left-leaning than right because they have to spend money and spend it on infrastructure. But yesterday, he, um, he decided to, uh, while staying out of the Toronto mayoral race, again for a fourth or fifth time in about two weeks comment on the toronto mayoral race here's what he said you got to be fiscally responsible you're spending the hard-working taxpayers money you, you can't be wasting money and if, if you know maybe I'm, I'm going back a little bit but when rob and i went down there the first question the first thing out of the uh you know the the uh, city manager's mouth you have 780 million dollar deficit and by the way, you have to raise taxes 20 some odd percent. Well, we did the opposite. We ended up driving efficiencies. We found a billion dollars of savings. We delivered a 0% tax increase. That's the difference of treating the taxpayer's money like your own versus treating it like you just don't care. And you just, the easiest thing is to just raise taxes. That's unacceptable. Okay, that's Doug Ford not weighing in on the Toronto mayoral race. Uh, Sabrina Nanji joins us from uh, QP Observer. A busy day for her, and her uh, Substack will be uh, popping. Uh, highly worth the subscription, and she joins us right now. Sabrina, uh, Doug Ford is um, is staying out of the Toronto mayor's race. He just wants to remind you every three days with comments about the Toronto mayor's race that he's not going to comment on the Toronto mayor's race. Yeah, for someone who is staying out of it, he certainly has a lot to say. And this is all happening on Budget Eve, because, of course, today is a very big day in Ontario politics. But obviously, uh, Doug Ford has has a lot on his mind. And, you know, sorry to Toronto, uh, there's not going to be uh, much to look forward to in today's budget. And, and so obviously, you know, uh, the Ford government in particular, because they have these big housing uh, ambitions, plans uh, for, for the province and in Toronto in particular, uh, they've made these these strong mayor powers. And so, of course, you know, there is some skin in the game for Ontario here. And even though Ford is staying out of it and promises that he will work with anybody, uh, you know, Queen's Park is paying very close attention to who's going to take the mayor's seat because, of course, municipalities do a lot of the heavy lifting that's going to, you know, clear this this plan that, that Ford has promised. But I don't think there's going to be much uh, in terms of the bailout that Toronto um, and Deputy Mayor Jennifer McKelvey says that they're hoping for from, you know, not only the province, but also the feds. And I think it's important to point out, too, and you're hinting at it. Listen, this is one of the things Doug Ford is good at. People say, well, he's a populist, but that means being popular to more people than you're unpopular with. And Sabrina, for people outside of the 416, this is why he connects. This is why his MPPs win. This is why he goes places and he's a big deal because he doesn't want to give Toronto any extra advantage that that he would give kit, people in Kitchener-Waterloo hear that and you're like, you're right. Toronto shouldn't get something we shouldn't get or London or Windsor or way up in Northern Ontario where the Conservatives tend to sweep. He knows what he's doing. It's a big province that doesn't just involve one city. Yeah, you're right. And I think that that's probably helping Ford and the Conservatives outside of this Toronto bubble, as Ford likes to put it. Uh, I thought it was interesting that Anna Bailao, one of the other mayoral contenders, has suggested uploading the DVP and, and Gardner mm -hmm. to the province, which, uh, you know, I, I think on the face of it kind of makes sense uh, when it comes to highways, but I really don't think it, it's going to happen because it just sets this very expensive precedent um, for the province. What about other cities? It's not all about Toronto, although Toronto, of course, is its own beast. We've, we've got our own legislation governing us and, and whatnot. So uh, I, I do, I, I am happy that we're having these, you know, deep policy Toronto focused discussions in this race for mayor where, uh, you know, for the first time we, we are 
solely focused on that, you know, usually in municipal by-elections, we have this very long ballot with like dozens of names, trustees, counselors to choose from. And this is full, fully focused on, on the mayoral uh, race, which is about to get a lot more crowded because of course, you know, since we're talking about Queens Park, Mitzi Hunter poised to throw her hat in the ring uh, next week is what I'm hearing. Absolutely. Yeah. She was on with us yesterday. It, it seems fairly obvious. I think a lot more people think she'll do well than not do well. So really interesting. Let me ask you about that before we come back to the budget, since you brought it up for the Ontario Liberal Party, they'll go from eight seats to seven. There will have to be a by-election in Scarborough Guildwood. But I just I know people are like, well, it's more disaster for the Ontario Liberals until they pick a leader, until they reframe, until they, you know, put a platform out that is distinct from the NDP and the Conservatives. I'm not willing to call for their demise. I think they've already hit rock bottom. I don't think this makes things any worse or any better. You're going to have to get a lot more seats than eight if you're going anywhere. Yeah, of course, you know, the threshold for uh, recognized party status at Queen's Park is 12 seats. Don't forget the Ford government raised that bar just when the Liberals were about to get the uh, previous threshold, which is eight seats. But, you know, in terms of how much damage this could actually do to the Liberals, you're right. You know, how much worse could it get? Certainly, they're going to feel the loss of Mitzi Hunter, who is a strong um, person in that, you know, diminished caucus. She has held on Mm -hmm. to Scarborough Guildwood when virtually, you know, dozens of other liberals weren't able to hold on to their seats and in particular their strongholds. But I do think Mitzi Hunter brings an interesting um, aspect to the mayoral race. And of course, you know, we'll all be. Uh, paying attention to if the Liberals can hang on to this, their mm-hmm. long-held bastion in Scarborough at, at Queens Park. Certainly they will, they will be making a push for it. And I think that it will be a very competitive nomination. Um, you know, if if the timing sort, sort of works out with what we're hearing and Mitzi resigns next week, we're looking at a by-election call uh, sometime this fall in September. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll just get settled on who the mayor is and then um, an important riding will come up um, for, uh, for Scarborough Guildwood. Um, what did the premier's nephew get in trouble for yesterday? You write about it on your Substack. stack. Uh, he got called out and he actually quickly apologized. That doesn't often happen. Sometimes people delay those kind of apologies. What transpired here? Yeah, uh, Michael Ford, the premier's nephew and also multiculturalism minister has kind of nipped this in the bud. Uh, his, his predecessor, actually, the former NDP MPP for the riding, Faisal Hassan, that's York Southwestern, had found this flyer newsletter that Michael Ford had put out. Uh, it's just a, a photo op with Frontlines, you know, this youth organization that does a lot of great work um, in, in Toronto, in the city, uh, outside the city as well. And uh, Michael Ford, I guess, had a, a poor choice of words. He had his foot in his mouth moment. That, that newsletter uh, showed him shaking hands with a, a young b- Black youth. And, you know, the caption was that Frontlines, this program, helps kids integrate. And a lot of NDPers took issue with that phrasing because the, the question is, you know, why? what are these youth not already part of the society? And I, I think, you know, it was good on Michael Ford to yeah. address this right away, shut it down, said it was a poor choice of words. He didn't want to, uh, you know, blow this up and give it more gas than it needed to, because, of course, his, his position has already been harshly scrutinized because he is a rookie politician. He's very young. Um, and, and he's the premier's nephew, and he was already given a full-on ministerial position soon after getting elected last year. And so I think, you know, politically speaking, this could have gone a lot worse for Ford, and, and he did a good mm. job dealing with it right away. You can go to QP Observer. Uh, it's Sabrina Nanji. Uh, Peter Bethenfalvy drops that uh, budget speech just after 4 o'clock today uh, at Queen's Park. Uh, she'll be all over the, uh, the pluses and the minuses and the reaction to it. Thanks so much for this. Thanks for being so thorough, and thanks for getting up for our audience. 
Thanks for having me. Sabrina Nanji uh, joining us. Yeah, a tweet from uh, Mart Styles called out Michael Ford. Uh, Mart Styles, the NDP leader, said, uh, quote, words matter. Um, they mattered. Uh, did they matter less with Sarah Jama the last several weeks? I'll, you could decide whether that's the case or not. Um, but they mattered when Michael Ford put out a flyer. But was Sarah Jama that mattered the same or less? I don't know. 